Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, so far so lousy for the Yankees here at the Throwback League. Yes, they're represented by so many different seasons of being in World Series, if not winning them outright. But so far anyway, we've got them tracked at 0-5 in this cross-decade competition. And an ominous sign for them here in the Bronx tonight, they've got to play the Marlins. Not the 2003 version that beat them for real, but the 97 version featuring Bronx native Bobby Bonilla. Not to mention Dutch Dalton, Gary Sheffield, Moises Salou. The 97 Marlins, a five seed. These Yankees are a four seed. The 99 Yankees have won a second consecutive World Series by sweeping the Atlanta Braves. Josh Lewin with you. What is the throwback league? If you're new to it, yeah, here's what you got to know. We took the 32 World Series winners between 1974 and 2006. We added 16 other World Series competitors into the bracket from that time, put them in a blender, seeded them, and we have a 48-team field. Eventually, we're going to come up with a champion. We simulate the games. The whatifsports.com website has been phenomenal. Thank those guys very much. Then I just go into my little home studio, and I announce the game. We condense it because nobody wants to hear a three-hour podcast. We try to keep these around 45 or 50 minutes. You can track the brackets and see the box scores at our website. That is thethrowbackleague.com. Got a Twitter for you, too, at thethrowbacklg. So tonight, someone's going to move on to the Sweet 16, either Jim Leland's Marlins or Joe Torrey's Pinstripes. We'll get into those 99 Yankees in a bit. Not as powerful as the 98 team that swept the Padres a year ago, but can they take down this free agent-laden Marlins team featuring the likes of Kevin Brown and tonight's starting pitcher Alex Fernandez? We just heard from Brown as part of the 98 Padres in the last week's throwback league game. So now it's Fernandez on the mound. Don't want to give you back-to-back Brown here. Uh, this big right-hander actually had a shoulder injury, never did pitch in the 97 postseason. But for our purposes... He's healed up and good to go. The former Chicago White Sox ace, college pitcher of the year before that. Overall, the 97 Marlins, 92-70. and 70. Doesn't sound like a champion, right? They made it in as the NL wild card. Found a way to capture that first World Series title in their first World Series appearance. In fact, their first winning season. GM Dave Dombrowski, who we'll hear from later in the broadcast, well, his mandate was to assemble a team of superheroes, and he pretty much had that done even before the season began. Marlins brought in Cliff Floyd, Bobby Bonilla. The year before it was Devon White. They had Andre Dawson. The pitching was rounding into form in their fifth year of existence. But mid-season 97, they picked up Darren Dalton and Craig Council. Turned out to be very big moves. Two deals done the very same day in late July, July 27th to be precise. 
That day, as the Marlins lost the finale of a series at Bush Stadium in St. Louis, they, they grabbed the second baseman and lefty bat they really needed down the stretch in council, the veteran leadership and championship pedigree of Dalton. By the way, uh, the Marlins were not exactly in top four in late July. They returned home from St. Louis, promptly lost to the Reds when Jay Powell allowed a pair of home runs in the ninth in what was a scoreless game. Joe Oliver and Mike Kelly, the heroes for the Reds. At that point, the Fish had lost seven of nine. They fell to seven and a half in back of the Braves. But once Dalton and Council got to town, they got very good for the next several weeks. 27 and 10, matter of fact, before a wobble in September, relegated them to second with no chance to catch those powerhouse Braves. But to me, it all goes back to July 27th and those two trades made by Dave Dombrowski. Around baseball on July 27, 1997, just to frame the zeitgeist for you, let's check the out-of-town scoreboard on a sultry summer afternoon across the land. Red Sox beat the Angels 6-5. Will Cordero, the walk-off single in the bottom of the ninth off Mike James, making a winner of Ron Mayhay. Rangers 5, White Sox 4, a final. John Wetland with the save. Braves beat the Reds 3-2 behind Greg Maddox, who's now 15-3. Dave Burba took the loss. Mark Wohlers, his 25th save. Indians over the A's 4-2. Jason Hockaby beating Jimmy Haynes. Paul Ossenbacher the save. Four days later, the A's will deal Mark McGuire to St. Louis, by the way. Rockies shut out the Cubs. A rare shutout in Denver. 4-0 Rockies win it behind John Thompson v. Jeremy Gonzalez. Brewers over the Tigers 11-7. Brian Moeller, the losing pitcher, the Tigers retired the number of pitching great Hal Newhouser before that game as Tigers pitcher Mike Myers gave up the goods in the ninth, 11-7 Milwaukee. Astros 7, Expos 2, Mike Hampton beat Jim Bollinger. Dodgers over the Phillies 7-1, Tom Candiotti now 7-3 beat Matt Beach, who is 0-6. Orioles 9, Twins nothing behind former Twins Scott Erickson is now 13-5. The Mariners over the Yankees 3-2. Jeff Becerro outdueling Andy Pettit in a battle of very good lefties. Bob Wells had the save in that one. Padres over the Mets 5-3. There was a doubleheader in San Francisco at Candlestick. The Giants beat the Pirates in 13 innings in the opener 6-5. But then the Pirates bounced back 110-7 in the nightcap. Francisco Cordova over William Van Landingham. Royals beat the Blue Jays 3-2. Greg Olson the win in relief. Paul Quantrill with the loss. So there you go, July 27, 1997. By the time October 27th rolled around, the Marlins were World Series champions. It happened just minutes into October 27th. The nail-biting midnight hour, the fall classic against the favorite Cleveland Indians ball club managed by, Mark, uh, by Mike Hargrove. Marlins had advanced by sweeping the Giants in the NLDS. They slayed those hated Braves four games to two in the NLCS. Thank you, Eric Gregg. Strike zone. For Levon Hernandez's 16 strikeout uh, game five. Then a weird World Series, a, uh, a pre-LeBron James Cleveland Miami connection here. The Marlins would win it four games to three, but what a wacky 10-day ride to get that done. Game one, Levon Hernandez over Oral Hershiser, backed by homers from Charles Johnson and Moises Salou. Game two went to Cleveland. Somewhat shockingly, Chad OJ outdueled Kevin Brown. Game three was a finger painting on a snowy night in Cleveland. A 26 hits, six errors, a 14-11 Florida win with 11 runs total scoring in an hour-long ninth inning. Game four to Cleveland in 18-degree wind chill. Then game five, Hernandez over Hershiser again, a third home run of the series for Moises Salou. So back from the cold of Cleveland on to Miami and a chance to wrap it up in six for the Marlins. But 
Chad OJ better than Kevin Brown again. OJ even hit a bases loaded single in the game to drive in two of the Indians' four runs. So, a winner-take-all game seven. Mike Hargrove's 48th birthday, and it was 2-1 Cleveland into the bottom of the ninth. But then the closer, Jose Mesa, coughed it up. Craig Council sack fly, scoring a lose, so on we went to extra innings in game seven. Tony Fernandez, a key misplay in the field in the bottom of the 11th. That allowed the Marlins to load him up. Edgar Renteria lined the 0-1 slider from Charles Nagy up the middle, and that was that. Craig Council scampering home with the World Series winner. Council's on the bench to start this one. Here's the lineup that the 97 Marlins run out there in the Bronx. It will be Renteria, only 20 years old, leading off at short. Jim Eisenreich will DH. Gary Sheffield, future Yankee, is in right. Moises Alou in left. Bobby Benilla's at third. Charles Johnson, the catcher. Kurt Abbott gets the start at second base. Jeff Conine at first. And Devon White in center field, batting number nine. They got a little bit of giddy-up down there at the bottom of the order. And we mentioned Alex Fernandez on the mound. Let's scoot forward a couple years now to 1999. Let's get the Yankees in here. Craig Kilborn is hosting the Daily Show in 99. The Sixth Sense is at the movies. I see dead people. On TV, Regis wants to know, is that your final answer? Pokemon is all the rage. Radio is playing the hits from Destiny's Child and Brandy and Britney Spears. The Spurs are your NBA champions, the stars in the NHL. Lance Armstrong wins the first of his seven tours de France. And as for baseball, it is all about the Yankees yet again. They have plowed through 98 with 114 wins, a sweep of San Diego in that year's World Series. The 99 season would bring forth uh, 16 fewer regular season wins, but still enough to win the AL East by four over the Red Sox. One big difference between 98 and 99, no more Roger Clemens for the Yankees. He was traded as spring training began to Toronto for David Wells, Graham Lloyd, and Homer Bush. David Cohn emerged as the pitcher of note. He threw a perfect game against the Expos at Yankee Stadium in the middle of July. Storied Yankee Stadium is the site again tonight. Took the four trains to get here instead of the D. And we're ready to go in just a little bit. Got the warm-up throws being taken on the mound right now by Orlando Hernandez. He will get the start. Yankee Stadium, after the mid-70s uh, remodel, became something pretty cool. Our pregame analyst, John Miller, remembers this stadium very well. He recalls all of that and uh, the Yankees World Series play the year before. Yankee Stadium at that time, the remodeled Yankee Stadium, uh, which then became the old Yankee Stadium, in 2009, uh, did not have the facade up on the, the rooftop that had been this, the signature of the ballpark. They, they kept some of that around the outfield above the scoreboards. And, uh, but also, they did something there. They took out all of the support poles, which meant obstructed views if you have the bad luck to have a seat behind one of those. And yet, even though they took those all out, the stands were closer, the upper, the second deck and the third deck were closer to the field than, in, than in any other ballpark that did not have those poles. And for some reason, they've not been able to ever do that again with any of the, the newer ballparks, including the brand new Yankee Stadium now. Um, I re remember in 1998 when the Padres played in the World Series. Uh, Tony Gwynn was so excited, and he just couldn't wait to hear Bob Shepard announce his name. And Ken Caminetti, who was like an MVP that year for the Padres, hit 40 home runs. Uh, he said it was intimidating. He went out to third base, and it looked like 
the fans in the upper deck were right over his shoulder looking right straight down at him. Uh, that's how close and uh, it, it was a great big ballpark, sort of uh, the antithesis of a, an intimate ballpark, and yet there was that intimacy there, which I think people overlook. So, uh, and they still had the the dimensions, the the home run porch in right field, which for me, I, uh, the first thing I always think of is Derek Jeter in 2001 against the uh, D-backs in a great World Series, ending a, an extra inning game to keep the Yankees alive in that World Series with a home run in the right field. Which, for Jeter, he had sort of that the swing to do that. That that's where he hit most of his home runs at Yankee Stadium. Thanks, John. Yeah, Jeter in 99 was a total stud. He led the American League in hits, 219 of them, second in batting average and in runs scored. Hit third in the order for part of the year, so he drove in 102 runs as well. Only the second Yankee shortstop to have 100 runs batted in. Lynn Larry did it in the early 1930s. You had Jeter, Bernie Williams, Mariano Rivera. They all had monster years as the Yankees went 98 and 64. Actually better on the road than at Yankee Stadium, strangely enough, in 99. But they swept the Rangers in the ALDS. That's pretty much a rite of passage in the mid to late 90s. Uh, the ALDS in 96, 98, and 99. Yankees-Rangers every time. 96, Yankees won it three games to one. The Rangers hit 218. They got five home runs from Juan Gonzalez. That was about it. 98. Three games to nothing, Rangers hit 141, 99, Yankees another sweep, Rangers hit 152. Ten total games, nine to one Yankees. Juan Gonzalez, six home runs for the Rangers, but that was pretty much it. In 99, it was on to the ALCS against the Red Sox. They pummeled them four games to one. And the World Series, a, a quickie. Remembered for Chad Curtis's walk-off homer in game three. Game two had the infamous interview of Pete Rose on the field by Jim Gray on NBC. He had the All-Century team in 1999 featuring the greatest players of the 20th century. And the Yankee legend Joe DiMaggio had died the, the uh, March of that year. So the Yankees were honoring him by wearing a black number five on their sleeves. We mentioned the Pete Rose-Jim Gray interview. And when Chad Curtis hit that walk-off winner in game three, he refused to do the post-game interview with Gray, saying only that home run was for you, Grandma, and, and then that was it. Game four ended with Curtis catching the fly ball and left at 11.22 p.m. on a chilly night in the Bronx. That made it three titles in four years. And with the Yankees sweep of the Braves, second time in 99, the, the Yankees and a New York team had combined to sweep someone from Atlanta out of the playoffs because the Knicks had done that to the Hawks as uh, they were on their way to that Cinderella run of the NBA Finals, lost to the Spurs. All right, let's do this thing. The lineup now to back Orlando Hernandez. Chuck Knobloch leads it off at second. Derek Jeter at short, Paul O'Neill in right batting third. Bernie Williams in center. Tino Martinez at first. You got Chili Davis DHing in this one. Jorge Posada's the catcher. Ricky Lede in left. Scott Brocious, the third baseman, batting number nine. And yes, Orlando Hernandez on the mound, finishing up his warm-up throws right now. Brother of the budding Marlins star, we mentioned LeVon Hernandez. LeVon is 22 this year and will grab nine of the 178 wins he's destined for in his big league career. Orlando Hernandez, only a nine-year major league career, starting it in 98, did that at the age of 32 as opposed to 22 like his brother. So just a nine-year big league career, ended with the Mets in 07. LeVon's career will end in 2012 wiping out as a Brewers reliever. But uh, as for Orlando Hernandez, this year 17-9, 4.12. 
every starter for the Yankees this year with an ERA in the fours, except for David Cohn. He was in at 344, but had only 12 wins as opposed to El Duque's team leading 17. Ramiro Mendoza, the swingman, also in the rotation. You had Pettit and Clemens, Hideki Arabu. Intimidating staff right there. And El Duque, great in the World Series, we should mention. Had a one-hitter through seven in game one. Only a Chipper Jones home run to right got Atlanta on the board in that whole game. All right, Renteria's in the box. The Barranquilla baby from Barranquilla, Colombia, one of very few Colombians in the majors in the 1990s. 277 batter, four home runs. He takes outside, ball one. We are underway. Defensively up the middle, Knobloch at second, Jeter at short. Martinez at first. He's in a little bit. Roche is in a little bit at third as well. Ladea is in left. Williams in center. Paul O'Neill is shallow in right for now. As the pitch sails high, it's 2 and out. Marlins in the all gray uniforms with the teal lettering across the chest. A Marlin fish jumping from right to left over the F and the L in Florida. Black batting, uh, batting helmets with the big letter F bottom. Yankees in their home pinstripes. Beautiful uniforms, just sparkling under the lights here tonight. Pitch to Renteria, cranked foul up near first. It's now two and one. We mentioned Renteria had the RBI single off Charles Nagy to end game seven of the World Series in 97. He'll go to his first All-Star game in 98, eventually move on to the Cardinals. Swings here, fouls it back, this time to the screen, two and two. Renteria, NL All-Star in 2000, 03, and 04. After 04, on to the Red Sox. Then eventually the Braves, another All-Star game there. On to the Tigers and the Giants, where he was great in a World Series, too. Pitch on the way. That's high, full count. Renteria, World Series MVP with game-winning home runs in Game 2 and Game 5 for the Giants in 2010. And he'd go on to finish up with the Cincinnati Reds. 3-2 pitch on the way. Swing and a ground ball, deep short, backhand side. Peters got it, leaping, throwing, too late. Well, Edgar Renteria, fine speed, as you probably know. 35 stolen bases this year, and he's on now. Derek Jeter with that signature leap and throw across his body. Took him a little while to get to that ball. He's not the most agile shortstop. Here's Jim Eisenreich now at 38 years old, part-time player for the Marlins, hit 280. And besides Eisenreich, guys like John Cangelosi, Todd Dunwoody, Mark Kotze seeing time in the outfield. Pitch from Hernandez poured in for a strike right down the middle, nothing and one to Eisenreich. No score in the top of the first. Eisenreich, the former twin, Royal and Philly. In May of 98, blockbuster deal traded from the Marlins with Bonilla, Sheffield, Charles Johnson to the Dodgers for Todd Zeal and Mike Piazza, who only hung around for a week. Next delivery. That blaze is in there for a strike. Nothing in two. Bill Eisenreich takes two, finds himself down 0-2. Eisenreich was noted in L.A. for his longtime success against the Dodgers, even though the Dodgers always had Outstanding pitching. Eisenreich, a career 405 hitter against LA, 620 slugging percentage. 
but he's on the other coast right here. He's at Yankee Stadium. Runner goes in the pitch. Swung on a miss to throw down. It is not in time. It skips up there, blocked by Jeter. Stolen base for Renteria, although the strikeout in the books. So it's a runner at second, one out, brings up Gary Sheffield. Not a great season for him in 97. Hit just 250. 21 a home run, 71 batted in. Menacing right-hand batter will end up playing for the Yankees five years from now. In 2004 and 2005, he'll average 35 homers, 122 runs batted in. This guy broke in at the age of 19 as a brewer. Pedaled to the Padres, now this here in 97, a fifth year in Miami. He takes upstairs, ball one. Nineteen ninety-six was really his monster season. Ken Caminiti won the MVP, but Sheffield really could have if the Marlins had been better than eighty and eighty-two. Sheffield forty-two home runs, hundred and twenty runs batted in. He walked hundred and forty-two times. On base percentage of four sixty-five led all the baseball. Pitch comes, check swing at that tough El Duque changeup. It's called a ball. Ball two. Seriously, how strong are Sheffield's wrists? Violently sways that bat back and forth as he sets up like he's trying to fling a bug off that bat. It's a violent, powerful swing, which leads to some mammoth home runs, not to mention some crushed foul balls in the left field stands. And some scary moments for third base coaches jumping out of the way. Sheffield will finish his big league career with 509 home runs, not to mention a whole lot of line drives that were almost home runs. Next delivery. He pounds this one to right at third. Scott Brocious has got it right near the bag. Two out. Boy, a whistling line drive just as we're talking about it. That ball stung right near the bag, but Brocious standing there just put up his glove, and there it was. Two down for Moises Alou. Still no score here in the first inning. We talk about Sheffield as a big RBI guy. This year, Alou, 115 of them for the Marlins, led the team by about 20. People sometimes forget he came up in the Pirates organization, actually debuted in the big leagues as a Pirate for Jim Leland, but then was peddled away in the deal that got the Pirate Zane Smith from Montreal. Alou with the Expos through 96. The Marlins this year will be traded soon after the World Series win on to Houston. Runner at second, here's the pitch. That is in the dirt, ball one. Later in the career of Alou, he'll play with the Mets and the Giants and the Cubs. His Cubs tenure best remembered for the playoff game in 03 against the Marlins, complaining about and pointing at the first row Cubs fan, Steve Barton. Next delivery is high with a changeup 2-0. Yankee Stadium, by the way, can lead to some tense foul ball moments, not to mention a home run robberies by fans in the right field bleachers. Ask Tony Tarasco and Derek Jeter and umpire Richie Garcia about 12-year-old Jeffrey Mayer a few years back. Pitcher swung on, foul to the right side. It's 2-1. and one. Now you look to the outfield, no Monument Park, that daunting slanted black batter's eye. One of the most distinguishing characteristics, of course, the facade consisting of the white frieze that originally ran along the front of the roof of the, the triple-decked grandstand, later atop the bleacher billboards and scoreboard when the stadium was remodeled. 
pitch to Alou, fouled straight back two and two. That facade was an addition to Yankee Stadium made by the engineers, Osborne Engineering. The Yankees asked that the stadium be given an air of dignity. And the facade, I guess, does that. The original facade made of copper and over the course of time developed kind of that greenish look to it like the Statue of Liberty's got. So it was painted white in the mid-60s, and that's how we've known it ever since. Next delivery from Hernandez. Fastball up too high, three and two. No score, Bobby Bonilla on deck here in the Bronx. Bob Clappish had written a book that was hard on the Mets, to put it mildly. Clappish goes into the clubhouse to interview Doc Gooden after a game. Things get ugly. Bonilla, from a couple lockers down, gets into it with Clappish, says, I'll hurt you. I'll show you the Bronx. And here is Bonilla in the Bronx tonight. Pitch to Alou. Swing, high fly. Pretty deep center field. Bernie Williams galloping back, still back. At the warning track, he makes the catch. And that retires his side. No runs, one man left. The 97 Marlins fail to score in the top of inning one. Let's pause for this. Bacon, bacon, where's the bacon? I smell bacon, bacon, bacon. Gotta be bacon, only one thing smells like bacon. That's bacon. Bacon, 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 bacon. There, from that bag, what's it say? I can't read. Please, please, give me what's in the bag. Chewy, yummy, smoky bacon. There you go. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, no, 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 no. It's bacon. No, it's bacon strips, brand dog snack from Purina. Bacon strips. Dogs don't know it's not bacon. It's bacon! I all due respect to dogs. Let's get you some coffee and or tea right now. Yeah, let's talk coffee and tea with the Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf, the most perfectly blended coffee on either coast of the great USA. If you're listening to this in New York, check them out in Brooklyn where they have opened up. The Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf has been bringing you the finest coffees and teas from around the world since 1963 with responsibly sourced ingredients and handcrafted coffees and teas. Coffee bean and tea leaf, truly an experience like no other. Bottom of the first inning, no score. Alex Fernandez, the big right-hander, 17-12 and 12 in 1997. He's on the mound for the Marlins. 3.59 ERA. Never missed a start. Five complete games. 183 strikeouts. About 20 shy of Kevin Brown's team-leading total. Brown, one fewer win than Fernandez, but a lower ERA. Either way, two solid right-hand starters at the top of this rotation. The lefties Al Leiter and Tony slotted behind them. Early this 97 season, on a freezing day at Wrigley Field, April the 10th, Alex Fernandez had a no-hitter into the ninth. Dave Hansen broke it up with an infield hit, ball going under Fernandez's glove and under his right leg. The only hit he allowed on a freezing afternoon. Here's Chuck Knobloch on a much more pleasant night at Yankee Stadium tonight. He looks at a strike at the knees, nothing in one. Knobloch hitting 292, 18 home runs, 68 runs batted in. Here's a kick, here's the pitch. That's it on the ground towards second base, Kurt Abbott, a little bit to his right, flips to first, and there's one man down. That brings up the popular Yankee shortstop, Derek Jeter. 349 batting averages here, second in the AL. Right behind him, longtime teammate Bernie Williams. Jeter making $5 million this year after less than a million last year. 24 homers, 102 runs batted in. He swings, he chops it foul at the third base line near third base coach Willie Randolph. Nothing in one. 
during this coming offseason, the Yankees are going to renegotiate with Jeter, tentatively agreeing to a seven-year, $118.5 million deal. Pitch coming, and it's low from Fernandez, one and one. Turns out, though, because George Steinbrenner didn't want to set a record for largest contract, Steinbrenner waited while Juan Gonzalez and the Tigers negotiated a reported eight-year, $143 million extension. That agreement fell through, though, so Jeter's deal fell through. And in the end, to avoid arbitration, everybody agreed to a one-year deal worth $10 million, and that was a bargain because the next season, he'll hit 333 regular season, 409 in the World Series. And the Yankees will win it all for the third year straight, four years out of five. Pitches outside the Jeter, two and one. Yankees have the 23-year-old Alfonso Soriano up now and on the Yankee bench. For now, though, the double play partner for Jeter continues to be the man that just made the out to lead off this inning, Mr. Knobloch. Pitch on the way. Swing fly ball towards right. Shy of the warning track. And that will be taken by Sheffield towards the corner for out number two. Two out, nobody on. Here's Paul O'Neill. 36 years old now, O'Neill, a five-time All-Star, five-time World Series champion. Four times with the Yankees, once with his hometown Reds. He eyeballs a fastball high. It's 1-0. Alex Fernandez getting the call here instead of Kevin Brown, who was a six-time All-Star. Brown pitched a no-hitter in this 97 season. David Cohn had his perfect game for these 99 Yankees, but for the 97 Marlins, Brown against the Giants in mid-June, very close to a perfect game. Marvin Bernard hit by a pitch in the eighth inning. Otherwise, fantastic perfection. Pitch outside, 2-0. We talk about Kevin Brown. He'll become a Yankee himself in 2004. Mediocre season with a 4.09 ERA. A lot of health problems during that year. And towards the end of that season, he punched a wall in frustration, injured his hand. He did pitch in the division series, but it was his performance in Game 7 of the ALCS that he's remembered for. He lasted, well, less than two innings. Gave up five earned, including the two-run home run to David Ortiz. Pitch from Fernandez is inside 3-0. To Paul O'Neill, solid season, close to 80 runs batted in, and playing in front of a solid bench behind him for support. Chili Davis DHing in this one. They got Chad Curtis, Shane Spencer, Luis Soho, Jimmy Layritz. Also a 99, Daryl Strawberry, making his comeback from his cancer treatment, but limited playing time, three home runs. In the playoffs, though, a big three-run home run against the Rangers in the division series. Pitch taken for a strike at the knees by O'Neill, 3-1. And, and a bittersweet World Series for O'Neill in 99. Yes, the Yankees won it in four over the Braves, but mere hours before game four, O'Neill's dad had passed away. Paul O'Neill would later write a book entitled Me and My Dad, a Baseball Memoir. It talks about his relationship with his father, who instilled the love for the game of baseball. The pitch is low. It's ball four. First Yankee base runner is Paul O'Neill. No score in the first inning. And here's the switch hitting Bernie Williams. 342 hitter. Native Puerto Rican whose full name is actually Bernabe Williams Figueroa. Figueroa, the, the real last name, just like former Puerto Rican Yankee Ed Figueroa, the pitcher. First delivery to Bernie, a strike on the outside corner, nothing in one. 
Bernie Williams will spend all 16 of his major league seasons as a Yankee. His uniform number 51 will get retired in May of 2015. And also a classically trained guitarist, Bernie Williams. Once he retires, he'll get two jazz albums out there pretty quickly. He was nominated for a Latin Grammy in 2009. O'Neill the lead from first. Pitch on the way. Fastball hit on the ground towards first. Jeff Conine plays the second hop. He'll zip on over to the bag, touch up, and that's the inning. No score at the end of one between the 97 Marlins and the 99 Yankees. Let's pause for this. Hello. Yo, what's up? Numby, just watching the game, having a bud. What's up with you? Nothing. Watching the game, having a bud. True, true. What's up? What's up? Yo, who's that? Yo, you pick up the phone. Hello? What's up? What's up? Yo, where's Dookie? Yo, Dookie. Yo. What's up? What's up? Hold on. Hello? So what's up, B? Watching the game, having a bud. True. True. Well, just for a moment, let's hang with our bud, Dave Dombrowski, general manager of the Marlins in 97. Of course, he was ordered to tear the whole thing down just about a week, week and a half after the World Series was captured. We won't get into all that. Let's talk about how he helped make it happen in the first place in 97. We talked about July 27th of 1997 being the kind of the watershed day. Darren Dalton brought in for Billy McMillan the trade with the Phillies. Mark Hutton was sent away to the Colorado Rockies for Craig Council. Two big deals on one big day. Well, we knew we had a good club in 97, and we had added a lot of players and in the offseason and made some moves over the last couple of years. Of course, the Braves had a really good club, too. So our goal at that point being seven games out, we, of course, wanted to qualify for the postseason and get into the wild card because then I think it happened. Rules were a little different at that point. And we analyzed our club that we basically had two to us biggest needs to try to get back and play better once again. And the two biggest needs for us were, one, at second base was one of the positions we had really scuffled. Um, Luis Castillo, who we really liked and ended up being a good big league player, just wasn't quite ready for the pennant race and the big show at that time. And one of our scouts, uh, Dick Egan, was scouting at, the minor league level, actually, scouting the AAA club for the Rockies. And we're looking for a guy who was not necessarily a star anywhere because we had a lot of star players with that club. When you have people like Sheffield and Bonilla and Malou and Devon White and the list went on. But we wanted somebody who would be a gritty type of player that could be in a position that could supplement us and give us that tough at bat, a blue-collar type player. And he came back and recommended counsel to us and was in a position saying that he felt he could contribute at the major league level. And when you talk about a scout putting their neck out, recommending a player from the AAA level to walk in and be a, an everyday player for you at the big league level in a championship run, uh, you really give the scout a lot of credit. And counsel ended up playing fantastic for us. He was the glue in the infield, gave us that tough at bat. 
and really made a difference for us. And the other big need we had, which was really a, a left-handed bat at that point, um, we were predominantly a right-handed hitting club, and we were looking for a left-handed bat that could contribute in the middle of our lineup. And there was one player that we kept looking around that we really liked a great deal, not only with the left-handed bat and Darren Dalton, but somebody who had been a championship-caliber player. We didn't have a lot of championship-caliber players that had played on championship teams at that point with the Marlins. A lot of good players, but hadn't won the world championship. Dutch had done that, and he also had leadership capabilities, so he really fit into everything that we were possibly looking to have. He could platoon at first base with us at that point, get the majority of bats being a left-hand hitter with Jeff Conine, who was still a good player for us. And so it just really fell into place for us, where all of a sudden we were able to pick up two left-handed bats, put them in our order, uh, a leader in Dalton, an everyday player in council, and all of a sudden the look of our ball club changed. Uh, we start playing very well. Dalton took some leadership role for us, uh, really giving some speeches right off the bat to our players and, and really kind of getting on them about what a good club they had, but we were even a better club than we had been playing. And it made a significant difference for us, and all of a sudden as we got in August, we started to play really good baseball and play like a championship caliber club. Now, thanks to Dave Dombrowski for skipping down memory lane where there's Dalton, 7 out of 18, two doubles and a home run in the World Series. Council scored the, the World Series winning run after sending the game to extra innings in the first place with a sacrifice fly. Both those guys coming off the bench in this game, the Yankees and the Marlins, 99 Yankees, 97 Marlins. Let's get you further action here and tell you how this game unspools. The Yankees will take the lead in the bottom of the second inning after Tino Martinez fly out to right. Chili Davis, ground ball single. Jorge Posada follows up with a line drive single, makes it first and third. Ricky Lede doubles them both in. Line drive double down the right field line, so both Davis and Posada come in. Brochers fouls out, Knobloch grounds out. It stays two to zip. Marlins come right back. Top of the third, Devon White at the bottom of the order. An infield single again. Jeter with that jump throw just couldn't get his man. Renteria with a walk. Eisenreich then with a little pop-out and a shallow right. In fact, the infield fly rule in effect. But then a double steal. Devon White and Renteria, two speedsters. They get it done to get to second and third. And then some drama. You could just walk Gary Sheffield, right, to load him up if you really wanted to. Instead, Gary Sheffield is drilled up near the shoulder blades, and the benches would empty. Gary Sheffield was furious with Alex Fernandez. Nothing came of it, just a lot of pushing and shoving. No Armando Benitez moments here or anything like that. No spilling into the dugouts and haymakers. But a lot of chatting, a lot of uh, just kind of general milling around, a couple shoves being pushed, and, and you know how that stuff goes. It was a nine-minute delay. Once order was restored, and you're looking at bases loaded now, Moises Salou works the count full and then bangs it right back to the mound, a fielder's choice. They only get the out at home plate. Posada, not a clean handle on the ball, so his throw on the first base, not in time for a double play. A one-two fielder's choice, and then Bobby Bonilla comes through. Line drive, base hit up the middle, scores two, and that does get things in at 2-2 in the top of the third. The inning wouldn't do anything from there because Charles Johnson struck out swinging. But with tempers having flared and emotions running high, the Yankees right back in the bottom of the third after Jeter with a fly ball out. Paul O'Neill mashing one into those right field bleachers. Yankee fans going crazy. A 3-2 Yankee lead. And the 
Teams would just trade zeros for a while after that. No scoring in the fourth or the fifth or the sixth. The Marlins finally in the top of the seventh inning. And Orlando Hernandez having checked out by then. Jason Grimsley on. Well, Jim Eisenreich led off with a walk. Gary Sheffield followed with a walk. Moises Olu, a nine-pitch at bat, he would walk. Mike Stanton had to come into the game. And Bobby Bonilla hitting into a fielder's choice. Again, they come home, a 3-2 fielder's choice to get the one out. Tino Martinez to Jorge Posada. Bases still loaded. Stanton on the mound. Charles Johnson then with a ground ball. They can't turn two. Derek Jeter on a second to Knobloch for the one out. They can't get the out at first, so it's a fielder's choice of run coming in, 3-3. Kurt Abbott frozen on strike three, so it really could have been a lot worse. Bases loaded and nobody out. The only run comes in on a fielder's choice. So, 3-3 game to the top of the eighth inning, and the Marlins would start to crank it up again. Jeff Conine, a little bloop single in the right center. Devon White, ground ball single. So the bottom of the order getting it done. Jeff Conine going to third on that, showing he's still got some wheels in his 30s. First and third, Edgar Renteria, yet again a fielder's choice to score a run. Seeing a lot of that here. This time, a 5-4 to four fielder's choice. Brocious getting the one out at second. They could not complete the double play. So on that fielder's choice, you got a run coming in. The Marlins jump on top, 4-3. to three. Bottom of the eighth inning. Looks like maybe the Yankees have something going. Alex Fernandez still on the mound. Tino Martinez walks, and after a conversation on the mound, bullpen getting loose, they decide let's stay with Alex Fernandez to face Chili Davis, double play candidate, and sure enough, 6-4-3 double play to end the threat. Jorge Posada would then strike out. That would be the last pitch thrown by Alex Fernandez. He ends with 118 pitches, eight innings of five-hit, three-run baseball. He did walk six, struck out four, but with a 4-3 lead, he is on line for a win if Rob Nen consulted away in the bottom of the ninth inning. The closer comes on. He strikes out Ricky Lede. Scott Brocious lines to short. Kind of a tough break there. So let's pick it up there. Two out, nobody on. 4-3 game in the bottom of the ninth inning. Let's see what Chuck Knobloch can do. He takes high. It is ball one. Jeff Knobloch wearing number 11. Just five foot nine, but still has some pop in that bat. 98 career home runs. Couple more in postseason play. Both of them with men on base, both to tie games, both here at Yankee Stadium in the World Series. 98 and 99. The one in 99 off Tom Glavin to knock him out of the game in the eighth. Chad Curtis eventually won that game with the home run off Mike Remlinger. 1-0 pitch coming. Swing and a miss. It is one and one. Against Rob Nen, the guy with 314 career saves. Had 108 of those for the Marlins. A lot of them for the Giants. Eighth overall in career saves when he retired. Not bad for a one-time 32nd round pick of the Texas Rangers. He's trying to close things out here. Nobody on, two out, 4-3 for the 97 Marlins. Now the pitch. Swing and a bouncing ball. Left field base hit. Down the hole between third and short. And as Moises Alou plays it back in, all right. Derek Jeter has his shot. Captain Clutch, who is due. Derek Jeter is 0 for 4 in this one. And he has struck out twice already. And it's funny that he's got this chance now against, of all teams, the Marlins. 
because, well, since uh, late in the 20-teens, he basically owns the Marlins. The guy who makes all the big day-to-day -day decisions in the front office, too. He didn't put up all the money, but it's Derek Jeter's Marlins as we get to 2020. Right now, against the 97 Marlins, a chance to win the game. Rob Nen looking in. And the pitch. Swing and a foul up near first. It's nothing in one. Jeter, as a player, known not only for the clutch hits, he's known for that stoic professionalism. In an age where a lot of athletes, especially in New York, find themselves in some personal scandals and whatnot, he will get through pretty much scot-free in New York with that strong work ethic. Everybody wants to grow up to be Derek Jeter. Pitch to him is high for ball one, one and one. Jeter played fewer than 105 games in a season only three times in his storied career. Dislocated his left shoulder opening day of 03, so he only played in 119 games. Injured his calf in 2011, so 131 games. 2013 is when he really struggled at a pile of injuries. Played only 17 games. One ball, one strike, a throw to first, a knob lock back. Uh, what an opportunity here. And the Yankees in this game, well, they've had a tough time of it with the meat of the order, really. Bernie Williams hitless in the game, Tino Martinez hitless in the game. The Marlins have gotten a lot done from the bottom of their order. Jeff Conine has two hits. Devon White has two hits. Remember, Bobby Bonilla had a, a big two RBI base hit. He's also drawn two walks in this game. As the pitch is fouled at the plate, it's now one and two. Jeter, such an aggressive hitter. That signature inside-out swing, resulting in most of his hits going to center and right. Most of his home runs to right field, not to left. Got to take advantage of that uh, short porch and right, as they call it. One ball, two strikes. Rob Nen looks in, has a sign from Charles Johnson, who sets up shop on the outside corner. Look at the runner. Now the pitch. Swing and a miss. He got him. Rob Nen strikes him out with a fastball. Ball game over. Third time in the game that Jeter strikes out. Wow. Once against Nen here. It was twice against Fernandez, who ends up as the winning pitcher. Mike Stanton charged with the loss. Although Jason Grimsley really pitched into a pickle. Walking three. He had an inning and a third of work after El Duque went five innings, allowing four hits. But his pitch count was up. He walked five and struck out seven. Dan Nolte and Alan Watson also pitched in this game, by the way, for the Yankees. But, boy, the Yankees just can't get a break. They can't get a win in the throwback league. It's phenomenal. But all these great Yankee teams, they still don't have a victory. Maybe the 98 Yankees can get that done. They're up next. They're going to take on the 88 A's. Yeah, back-to-back -back throwback league games at Yankee Stadium cooking up. But the 97 Marlins are in the Sweet 16. They will eventually get the winner of next week's throwback league game. Again, we mentioned the 98 Yankees against the 88 A's, so that'll be some fun. We've got a lot of uh, people wondering about, uh, and there's a forum, by the way, on the throwback league website if you want to go there, thethrowbackleague.com. You know, what is it about the Yankees unable to, to move forward in this tournament? I don't know. I, I, I do not know. The A's, by the way, the, the, the Reds, 
the 75 Big Red Machine lost right away. We have seen some upsets in this tournament. Very March Madnessy here in the summer. But for what it's worth in this one, the final line score for the winning 97 Marlins, four runs, seven hits, no errors. For the 99 Yankees, three runs, six hits, no errors, and they are eliminated. They do not get to the Sweet 16. Josh Lewin with you. Thanks so much for tuning in. Talk to you next time. This is The Throwback League.